The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Back by popular demand, we have Dr. Joel Furman back on Health Watch today. Dr. Furman is a board-certified family physician who specializes in preventing and reversing disease through nutritional and natural methods. He's on the board of directors of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, the research director of the Nutritional Research Project of the National Health Association, and he's the creator of the Health Starts Here initiative for Whole Foods. He's the author of many best-selling books, including Eat to Live and The End of Diabetes, and he's here today to talk about his book, Super Immunity, The Essential Nutrition Guide for Boosting Your Body's Defenses to Live Longer, Stronger, and Disease-Free. Welcome back to Health Watch, Dr. Joel Furman. Oh, thank you. Excited to be on with you today. So, Dr. Furman, let's just start with the title of the book, Super Immunity. What, what is super immunity in your mind? Well, you know, you have to juxtapose that against the fact that Americans have suppressed immunity or abnormal immunity. I'm making a radical statement here. I'm saying that uh, the fact that almost all Americans get cancer, in other words, even the ones that die of heart attacks and strokes, if they lived long enough, they would probably get cancer as well. If we took men over the age of 70 walking down the street and biopsied their prostates and put them in a Vitamix blender and looked at all the cells, we'd find probably 90% of men over the age of 70 had prostate cancer, and 90% of women at that age have all had breast cancer as well. The point I'm making is that if you eat like other Americans eat, you're going to have a suppressed immune system that just leaves your body exposed to viruses, bacterial infections, not just heart disease and strokes and diabetes and obesity, but also um, cancer will develop in almost every American eating a diet that's 60% of calories from processed foods and 30 per, approximately 30% from animal products with a mere, you know, with less than 10% of vegetation. So by super immunity, I really mean normal immunity, the immune systems that we ha- have the right to have functioning and that, that we can have functioning again and, the, and we, can, we can literally win the war on cancer in America today. Well, and we my- don't have to have 90% of cancers that we're having in this country today. And that's, a, that's a, such a far, you know, a far reach or far away from the way other people are talking, the way people are thinking. They think cancer is the inevitable consequence of aging, that we're going to win the war on cancer by bringing it down 10% further. And I'm saying, no, we can bring it down 90%. We, cancer could be relatively rare, and a, a normal or correctly functioning immune system because we're using nutritional excellence or modern nutritional science and enabling people with the right information to apply it to their lives should enable this to happen. Well, most people, when they think of the word immunity, they're thinking of protection from colds and flus. And, and obviously, super immunity, the book, deals in, in these issues. But also, you, you do spend a lot of time on cancer prevention. And uh, could you tell our listeners how the immune system is related to our ability to ward off cancer, since most people aren't ma- necessarily making that connection? Oh, that, that's a good question, because, I, yeah, I guess most people aren't recognizing that the same, you know, T cells and the same natural killer cells and these, these cells that protect us 
like the defenders at the gates of the castle, these cells that, you know, the white blood cells that line our digestive tract, and when any viruses or bacteria try to get through, they attack them and kill them. Well, those same cells actually, we could say, have a surveillance system that look at our own cells within our own body. And when those cells start to become abnormal, they label them for removal and destruction. And so our immune system is not just protecting us against microorganisms, it's also protecting us against any abnormalities that occur in our own body. So we have, you know, there's the word exogenous means coming from the outside, and the endogenous means coming from the inside our body. And our own body produces waste products called endogenous wastes, like, like, a, like a factory produces its own garbage. So we have exogenous or, or toxins coming from the outside that are poisonous to us. And we have toxins coming from the inside. And our immune system and our, you could, our circulatory and our lymphatic system and our liver and kidney, our, our internal organs, act in conjunction. They're like, they're, they communicate with each other even. And we remove toxins, we repair broken DNA crosslinks, and, we're, and when a cell becomes too inundated with toxins or poisons, the body can recognize that because the, this, this, the cell gives off signals, including it changes the structure of the cell membrane, and the immune system can recognize that, and one, some of the specialized immune cells can stick to that cell, labeling it so that the immune system could recognize it, to destroy it, to remove it before it could even become cancerous. And you know what's interesting is that Mushrooms have on them antigen-binding lectins that work in conjunction with the human immune system that enable us to stick to permanently mark, you could say, cells that are abnormal to make it easier for the immune system to recognize those cells, pick them up, and, and, and you know, label them for destruction. And the word that when, you, when our own immune system destroys an abnormal cell, it's called apoptosis. So apoptosis is, the, is our body destroying or killing the own, our cells with, that live within us that could potentially hurt us because they've become dysplastic, abnormal, or inundated with waste products. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's, a, it's fascinating, and, it's, and this interaction between the right food and mobilizing and activating these immune defenses is tremendously interesting and important, and it's what we've, you know, it's what people have ignored and what doctors have ignored in medicine is that we're always looking for a magic pill or magic potion to make people, once they're really, really sick and almost dying, but we don't realize that these magic potions exist in nature that prevent us from getting to that step of getting cancer, and that's where we have to focus more of our energies, not on trying to, you know, waiting until it's almost too late and then hoping we're going to extend life a little bit. We've got to really, the real life extension potential is preventing these people from getting these diseases like cancers to, to begin with. Well, let's talk more about the focus on food as the, as the solution for prevention and also treatment. You, you say in Superimmunity that more medical care is not the answer, that the lack of medical care is not the problem, and therefore more medical care is, isn't the solution. Tell, tell us what you mean by that and, and why you've decided to focus primarily on improving a, a poor dietary situation as far as uh, treating a lot of these chronic diseases. Right. I mean, you know, there's a few things going on here, and that there's, you know, it's, it's, we have to consider all these things in the, to feel that how we've got to this state of, you know, so many people, sick people in this country. This is a tragic, it's tragic to see these people dying needlessly of heart disease and strokes and people getting dementia. 
people being put in nursing homes, people getting cancer, because we've almost accepted the fact that this is normal or the expect the inevitable consequence of aging, getting older. You know, we and it, and and the science shows the opposite is true that these diseases that afflict us as Americans don't have to have occurred. So the first thing is, we can say that we've tested these medicines for the last 45 years, and that, I think, has, that we've, it's a proven failure. And the people don't recognize, you know, generally people don't recognize that when you take, for example, blood pressure medications, and it entails taking two and sometimes three medications to adequately lower your systolic blood pressure into the favorable range. And when you do that, it pushes the diastolic, the lower blood pressure number, into the unfavorable range, preventing the refilling of the coronary blood vessels with blood and oxygen during the, when the heart is relaxing, is when the heart refills with blood. And then because diastole gets lower, as we lower systole with medications, then we don't get enough oxygen and we get to cardiac arrhythmia, sudden cardiac death, cardiac ischemia. In other words, the medications cause problems, especially in elderly people when they, you know, they have a widening pulse pressure. And the only way to get that down would be a diet and exercise. Medications could actually increase risk, and they're shown to do so. So you, you pay a price with medications. You don't get something for nothing. And the side effects are often worse than the disease they're trying to prevent. So we're, what I'm saying here is that if you look at most diseases, we find that, like take diabetes, for example. You know, the ACCORD study showed that when people had better medical care and more intensive medical care to monitor their blood sugar and to treat it so it's more favorable, those people were dying at a, had a 20% increased risk of death. More medical care, more death. Because the medications that push the blood pressure down, the blood sugar down, have negative effects that burn out the pancreas and make you become more diabetic. It's not the same thing as exercising and eating right to get your blood sugar down. The point I'm making again is that we always underestimate the negative effects of these medications, and the reason we underestimate the negative effects is because the studies that, that determine their usefulness and promote them are paid for and done by drug companies predominantly, and the, and, and, the, and, the, and the so-called evidence that doctors are using to form the basis of the medical practice is biased. It's biased evidence, because it's evidence to favor the drug industry. And, and put in that context is the idea that when people take medications and pills to think they're going to control these numbers in their body, they don't rec- it, it, it functions as an emotional and psychological permission slip. They think they're okay because their blood sugar's down, or they think they're okay because their blood pressure's down. And so they can just take the medications, and it, it gives them the subconscious permission to continue on the same diet style that's causing that's, that's um, accelerating their demise because the doctor never told them they had to change their diet, and the doctor just said the medication would take care of it. So it's, we're overly dependent on medication. We have a false sense of expectations of what medications can do for us. We don't thoroughly um, recognize the dangers of the medications, and they encourage us to not change our lifestyle enough to not need them. So all these things go on in the social context of a population that's collectively eating themselves, you know, eating, eating recreationally, as, and becoming addicted to processed foods, sugar, salt, oils, sweets, the foods everybody else is eating, are powerfully addicting to the human species. So it's hard not to overeat calories when you're eating such, we could say, um, scientifically designed foods. We're eating foods that are designed to encourage people to eat more of them and buy more of them. So we live in a very artificial food environment. 
If we lived on a desert island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and we had nothing to eat but, you know, natural foods that we could grow, catch, or find, it would be that you couldn't find overweight people on that island, because, you know, eating naturally, because it, it's really we've changed food. And now we use medications to, to treat the inadequate diet we're eating. I always make the joke about it. I say, do you remember that show Gilligan's Island? Of course. So I say, you know, that's how we know Skipper never really lived on that island. You know, because he's overweight, of course. Because you can't <laughs> become overweight if you're living on a, if you're living on natural foods that you could find in the woods. You know, that's a good point. In case you just tuned in, we're talking today to best-selling author Dr. Joel Furman about his book Super Immunity. So, Dr. Furman, let's talk about some of the keys, some of the the best foods to be eating to prime our immunity, both for colds and flus and for cancer prevention, you really, you, you emphasize that the solution isn't a supplement either. It's not drugs. It's not a supplement. It's actually uh, the foods that we consume. So what are some of those foods that we should be focusing on? Well, thanks for the question, because I have changed the acronym a little bit, and I call it now G-bombs. It's so easy to remember. G-B-O-M-B-S, G-bombs. And I say G-bombs for your super, for your superior immune system forces, your special immune system forces, G-bombs. And it stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. And if we look at any one of these letters and categories of foods, you know, individually, you'll find that there's a between a 50% to about a 75%, 50 to 75% reduction in cancer for people who eat just that one food. Like take mushrooms, for example. There was a study done that showed that women who ate about the average about 10 grams of mushrooms a day, which is not much mushrooms, it's about the size of your thumb. So women who ate some, you know, fresh cooked mushrooms every day, about 10 grams a day, averaged a 64% lower risk of breast cancer compared to women who didn't eat mushrooms regularly. And that, so that's just for the mushroom element alone is the point they're making. Then when they showed people who eat more green cruciferous vegetables or green vegetables have about a 65% you know, lower risk of breast cancer as well, and as well as a 65% lower risk of death once they even have breast cancer if you eat those regularly. But if now if you combine the people eating green vegetables and mushrooms, well, this is a study that showed that people who ate you know, greens and green tea and mushrooms every day had about a 90% reduction in cancer. So there was even a study that showed the seeds, that people who ate flax seeds are, or has lignans in their diet. Lignans come from sesame seeds, flax seeds, chia seeds, broccoli stems, things like that. They're like a, a type of, um, fi, you know, phytochemical fiber in foods. But this study that they followed women who had a diagnosis of breast cancer for 10 years and women who had the, uh, over in the highest quartile, the highest amount of lignans, which was only about a half of milligram a day, you know, a very small amount a day, they, they still had a 71% decreased risk of death for breast cancer over that 10-year period compared to women not eating the lignans. The point I'm making is if we look at the G-bombs individual, whether we're studying berries, mushrooms, onions, onions have a tremendous powerful anti-cancer effects, whichever food we're studying here, each one of them individually gives you a, a huge protection in cancer when you eat it, but if you put all the G-bombs together, that's how I'm coming to this um, conclusion that we can really win cancer in America because these foods are so delicious, we can make them in recipes to get these foods in, and they work synergistically. In other words, 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 10. You know, it's like, it's the, you, and you get tremendous immune system benefits in the process, and that's where the, where the whole thing of, uh, the, the point of super immunity, how it's based.
And you mentioned some really interesting studies when it comes to susceptibility to viruses, to flu-like viruses and the flu virus and diet. There's some research on on diet and viral susceptibility, but also on the length and intensity of illness once we've succumbed to a viral infection. Can, can you talk a little bit about those? Sure. And I, I guess the point is the same thing here is that, you know, as Americans, we're always looking for a magic fix or a pill. People say, well, what do you do when you're sick? Well, you know, actually, once you're sick, it's probably too late to get your immune system built up. We've got to do that. We've got to live this life. We have to, we have to live a healthy life all the time to prevent these diseases. The point I'm making is to, um, in, in, to answer your question, is that the, you know, we can't suddenly, because to build up the phytochemicals and the antioxidants and to keep, keep their, our tissues and our immune cells functioning at a high level of function is what these studies show is we have to be on chronically eating a diet containing these polyphenols and bioflavonoids and other protective nutrients because to build the level of nutrients to the, in the body's immune system so the immune cells function at a high level of function and to afford this degree of protection we're talking about takes months of eating properly. And you're not going to build that level up once you're already sick. So, I, so I'm focusing on the studies here that show that when you ingest these foods on a chronic basis, then it shows that you're more immune when you're exposed to a viral load. And that, and because you, you get sick based on a few different factors. One is based on the amount of the exposure of that viral load. You know, if you're just a little small um, exposure, the body immune system can beat it maybe. Or a large exposure, it's diff more difficult to beat. The virulence of that particular virus too, because some viruses are more, you know, have more pathogenicity, pathogenicity than others, you know, more milder, easier for bodies to defeat. The immune system memory plays a role. Whether your body has seen that virus in the past plays a role, too. And lastly, and importantly, the, build, the health of the immune system and whether, you're, whether your immune system has been uh, nutritionally um, activated because the American diet, these people's and most Americans, their immune system is subpar because they're not taking in enough antioxidants, phytochemicals, and minerals from their diet. So now so we're talking here about, a, about once you've you know, considering all these factors, and the one we can control the best, we can control our exposure to viruses, not putting our hands to our mouth, keeping ourselves clean, staying away from sick people. You know, we can do all that stuff, but, the, but, the, but then when you combine that with also a proper diet eaten, you know, eaten over a long period of time, that's when we have the ability to really prevent these illnesses. And when you do get sick, your sickness is much is milder and doesn't last long, and you bounce out of it quickly, and doesn't result in the sequelae or the morbidity we're talking about when people get hospitalized with the flu or get you know major illnesses. We're talking here about getting sick, bouncing out of it quickly, getting back to work. I mean, I can't remember being you know I've gotten sick maybe in the last 25 years, but I can't remember missing more than you know missing a day of work. Or I don't think I've missed maybe one day of work in the last 30 years, maybe one day. But in a, if you get sick, you know, you bounce out of it in a day or two, or your next morning you're all better. You know, like my children, I can't remember them being sick more than, you know, they'd never need an antibiotic and never bounce, you know. Um, the whole thing is when we're looking at infections, asthma, sinusitis, bronchitis, all these diseases, they're clearly worsened by the lack of nutritional, um, you know, nutritional status of the host. And, and what, are, what are the remedies that 
have the best science behind them and it, once you do have a viral infection? Are there some that you prefer, you know, say zinc versus vitamin C or, or echinacea versus elderberry syrup? Yeah, well, you know, it is. I mean, I guess if the ability of those things to work dependent. See, if you're, if you're not deficient in zinc, even though zinc has been shown to be effective in some studies, if you were zinc sufficient, you were taking, let's say, 15 milligrams of zinc every day and you're eating, a, you know, eating healthfully, then taking additional zinc when you're sick is unlikely to be effective because your body already has enough zinc in it. In other words, with every um, nutrient, there's probably there's an optimal range which is not too low and not too high. And the idea that we can take more of something to make the immune system function better can, can go back the other direction. So vitamin C might be useful, for example, in a vitamin C deficient population, but taking extra vitamin C in a person that has enough vitamin C, taking more isn't just necessarily better. We want the right amount, and if it was the right amount for optimal function, we should be taking it all along. So the, so the studies don't really show that in a nutritionally sufficient host, taking more, that's helpful. Now, you know, elderberry probably is, has the best support, but, I mean, of course, because it has so many polyphenols and, and immune system supporting chemicals, and it has there's other berries, too, like blackberries and blueberries and, and acai berry and, you know, berries, strawberry. You know, all these things are very powerful. You know, G-bombs, one of those bees is beans, and one of those bees is berries, and it's very effective for your immune function. So I, I, my personal feeling is that even though I might give elderberry to somebody when they're sick or, you know, I'm, I think that if they've been eating berries all along and they've, they've been taking, you know, they've been, then it's unlikely to do that much if they're not deficient in phenols. But since most Americans are deficient in phenols and polyphenols, and probably taking the elderberry, you know, concentrate is probably helpful for them when they're sick. And if they haven't been taking any zinc and if they're not, then maybe taking a little extra zinc it might be helpful for them. But, you know, course, if you were doing everything right, it becomes less likely that these interventions are going to do anything for you. And that, but that doesn't matter because those people are going to get well quickly anyway, you know? Well, I think one way that the super immunity diet distinguishes itself, a lot of the people who come on, on Health Watch to talk about diet are really focused on how much of the different macronutrients we're taking, either suggesting more or less carbs, more or different fats, or more or less protein. And you really seem to be more focused on micronutrients, on phytochemicals, and how much or how little we're getting of the good phytochemicals in our diet. Would that be a, good, a fair characterization? Oh, absolutely. Very, um, you know, very astute there. I'm actually saying that this idea of eating more or less carbohydrates, more or less fat, and more or less protein has really gotten us in the bad, in the bad, in the wrong direction. They're focusing on the macronutrient content, not the micronutrient content. And there's a broad acceptability of macronutrient content that could be healthy for you if your phytochemicals and micronutrient content is high. In other words, <clears throat> um, a diet could be favorable that's 15% of calories and fat. And a diet could be favorable that's 35% of calories and fat. If the fats came from, you know, nuts and seeds and avocado and high-nutrient foods, it's not one particular macronutrient ratio that makes a diet better. More, you know, and, and obviously one of the things in modern science in the last five years has illustrated is that animal protein in the higher amounts um, increases IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1, which is, promotes cancer. So we want to keep not, you know, so, it's, so this focus on high protein to lose weight and reducing carbs is potentially dangerous for long-term cancer. Thrown on to that, the added problem now that people yo-yo go on yo these yo-yo diets and lose and gain and gain and lose, instead of they're focused on their health, 
And instead of focusing on eating more nutritional quality, they're going to stay eating that long-term for the rest of their life, which will stabilize their weight. They're looking for these crazy fads and some macronutrient ratio, which leads to weight, which leads to changes in weight, weight fluctuations. They lose, they gain it back again. They lose, they want us, you know, the high protein, they lose some, they gain back again. And that weight fluctuation is dangerous. It increases the saturated fat content of our tissues. It, make, it, it helps us change subcutaneous fat to become more visceral. Weight cycling is dangerous. The point I'm making now is that the changes we make in our diet should be changes we're going to make for the rest of our life to improve our health. We shouldn't be focused on weight as much as focused on health because when we focused on health, then the changes in weight become permanent changes that stay with you long term instead of dieting. So, Dr. Furman, for people who are interested in, in more steps uh, from the Superimmunity book, but also maybe you are curious about looking at some of the studies that you cite, um, do you have a website that people can go to? Yes, of course. It's drfurman.com, D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com. And, you know, I've written um, eight different books and super, you know, I love superimmunity, but I, you know, I have different books on the end of diabetes and, you know, things like that. So, yes, I encourage people to look into my work with the, with the hope and expectation that the body's ability to fight disease and to protect itself is much more robust and much more, and the ability of the body to be, to, to not get the disease that other Americans get is, you know, is tremendously, it's powerful, very powerful. That's the point. And you do mention, I know we didn't get into it today, but you do mention uh, some interesting and compelling research on exercise and immunity as well. Of course. And the, other, the last thing is, is that healthy food can taste delicious. And we don't have to sacrifice good taste and pleasure in life to have, to have great health. They can be married together, and I love to, you know, show the fancy recipes and delicious desserts and how you can make the healthiest foods on the planet taste great. And us people, us nutritarians who want to keep in great health and live to be 100 without these diseases or whatever it is we're trying to do, we're not sacrificing pleasure in life to do it. We're getting more pleasure in life and less fear and anxiety and depression and all the worry and, you know, um, invasiveness of being you know, burdened by all the medical problems people have as well. Well, I, I would imagine any any solution that relies on a feeling of deprivation is probably not going to last very long. That's right. And do you offer recipes in the book then for people who want to um, who want to try some new recipes with foods maybe they're not familiar with? Exactly. You know, every one of my books, you know, the basic books have about 50 recipes each, but my, I have the, my Eat for Health book has 150 recipes, and I have a book called the, the Eat to Live Cookbook that came out. The Eat to Live Cookbook came out about three months ago, and that has like two, over 200 of my favorite recipes. And, and, contribu- and nutritarian recipes from world-class chefs have contributed to that book as well. So I really have, you know, the, this idea that you can make delicious food, healthy food, taste gourmet at the same time. So, so Dr. Furman, just quickly before we end today, maybe you could name uh, a handful of greens that you think would be good ones to start with for people to give the most uh, power for their, for their punch. Well, I want people, the first, the most important thing I want people to do is have a salad every day. I, I, I tell them to write on the refrigerator a big sign that says the salad is the main dish. And to every day, at least once a day, you'd want to eat lunch or dinner, have a big salad. And then you have and then to put in the salad something raw, cruciferous like kale or collards or cabbage 
shredded on top of the lettuce and tomato, and then, of course, some raw onion. So raw onion or raw scallion and combined with raw cruciferous with tomato on top of a salad, you know, and of course I give lots of healthy salad dressing recipes to make the dressing healthy as well, usually made with nuts and seeds. So that's foundational. That's the foundation for good health. You have to eat raw vegetables for excellent health. And, you, and the variety of raw vegetables, you know, the kale and the cabbage gives you those cruciferous vegetables that you chew. And as you chew them, it releases the ITCs, these isothiocyanides, with powerful anti-cancer effects. So Doc, you, so, Dr. Furman, unfortunately we're out of time, but thanks again for coming back on Health Watch uh, to talk about your book. Oh, thanks so much. I, we were talking today with Dr. Joel Furman, the author of Super Immunity, the essential nutrition guide for boosting your body's defenses to live longer, stronger, and disease-free. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday morning radio zine.